Welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. Today we have our final session with David Skillen talking about organisational culture. Have you been in organisations where you've seen great cultural change? Well, I think normally, and historically it's slow and steady, but there are exogenous forces that organisations go through, which you know, they're outside forces that cause great impact and they therefore cause an urgency of response yep. that requires a cultural change. Some are for good and some are for bad. Mm. You know, I, I, I was in a banking organisations leading up to, during and after the GFC, and the responses in those organisations, I think, uh, were great. In one case, sadly, you know, we had 23,000 less employees and contractors between October 23 and December 31, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that was horrible. It was terrible. And the, uh, the, the, the outcome of that in the following year mm-hmm. was so bad on people, on the culture, you know, everybody was down. It, it achieved what was at that quarter a very necessary point. In this case, there was uh, Barclays, and they did not require and did not take help from the government. But I think it's fair to say the UK government would have preferred all banks to take help, mm. which left them at the same level, which supported trust. HSBC didn't require it, and Barclays didn't. Others did. And unless we reduced our numbers, reduced our costs, and had another, there were three factors that we were required to guarantee the Bank of England, the regulator, then they would step in and do something. And we wanted to avoid that. So we made mm. a decision for that quarter, for that half. Mm. In the following year, we paid for for it badly, 2009, paid for it badly in terms of how the people were. It took a lot of work to fix that back up. We lost the trust between the leadership and the folks. The execution of our plan slowed down because of the communications channels dried up, and yet these are the times we needed to work very hard to try and recover. Mm-hmm. Our customers were angry with us, with what was seen as being the banks causing the GFC. We had so many more calls, and our call times went up through the roof. Mm-hmm. And engagements at the branch, you know, face-to-face, because people first expressed their anger and then wanted to do their business and then a little more anger as they departed again. Mm-hmm. So this culture that you know had been quite a healthy culture in terms of driving for a corporate goal had to find a way to redefine itself, had to find a way to, to be totally different there. And the incoming um, global retail bank CEO, Anthony Jenkins, then reset the culture and made it one which just focused on the needs of the client that required first listening to the client, checking that you had the right answer then, meeting the client's needs. Something very simple, something that we all know about now, but something that just was very different in the way in which we we went about our business compared to building a great business, producing a terrific quarterly profit, growing our share value on the on the stock exchange and being worth more as a corporation, we actually became a very different company in terms of servicing our customers. Mm-hmm. And those objectives and goals went to the top. It required a different culture to support that change in strategy. Mm-hmm. And as you said in your earlier remarks, that had to come from the top. It had to and come it from did, the top. And it did, and it worked. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. How do you support and manage your own staff when 
the culture of the organisation is perceived a different way from the outside and, and they're at that intersecting point. So if we use a, a local example, Fuliana and I both worked for, in the public sector for a long time mm-hmm. and the general view of the public service is that it's a, a whole host of people who just waste their time pushing paper around and she and I know that we worked very hard in our time in the, the public sector but we were we were at the interface of having to do with people who every day would say to us, "Oh, you just you're just a public servant. What would you know?" And we knew that we had we were in an organisation that had a certain culture that provided us with certain ways of doing things. But the interaction between the public who perceived us this way, and we were constantly bombarded with, "You're no good. What are you doing? You know, your work is substandard, and really, you're just annoying me by being here. And why do I have to deal with you?" And I think that is still the case for a lot of public sector jobs, particularly the state government ones. How do you support that person within your, the culture of the organisation to withstand the attack of someone that's else's that's view of the culture? I think that's a very difficult question. <laughs> um, I'm not so sure that there's a, um, you know, a concise answer to it. But times when your team is under stress, pressure from another group outside, likely to be disheartened, then speaking more often is the first thing. I mean, interaction more often. You can just touch the plate and keep it spinning every now and then mm-hmm. when, it's, when it's balanced well. Yeah. But when something goes wrong, you've got to be there more often. You've just got to be visible on the floors, communicating more often, choosing more channels to communicate. I think the second thing is to be available. You know, you can't always know the right time to engage. Mm-hmm. But if they want to tell you something... Wouldn't it be great that they had the channel or the door was open or they knew that you were going to respond well? And so, you know, there's something around being available, I think. I think thirdly, then you have to demonstrate if you get some information, because you're available, you do something different with it. So change something. You might change something and it's not the right thing. That's all right. Change it back. You've done a better thing then and get to the right place. But at least choose something to change. And still, the underwriting culture is that you yeah. can do those things. You can yes. do those yes. things. And, yeah. and let the people have yeah. input to what needs to change, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's so back the, to the trust again. It's the trust yeah. thing. Yeah. I, I look back on my career and I can think of a lot of things I did wrong. And I'd love the chance to replay some of them. But one of the things is that every time you took a chance and gave somebody an opportunity to do something, they saw that quickly that you took the chance, even if you thought they didn't know it was a chance taking situation. Mm. Mm. And typically they responded a lot better than you thought that they would because of that fact that they were given the chance there. And came up with solutions that you yeah, would never have you considered. Were have yes. yeah. Now you yeah. can you know, work them into the mainstream, you can find the ways to support them, you can refine them a little bit, but you wouldn't have initiated all of those ideas. Mm-hmm. There, is, there is so much value that comes there. Which leads me to, to ask, have you had experience of an organisation where the culture really needed to be completely changed, completely rethought, and the culture that developed as the new culture was completely different to everything else in that particular industry segment? Or do you see in your experience that cultures are reasonably similar? I mean, we've talked about American Express being different to what you're used Mm. to, and that's probably a pretty good example, but is there anywhere else where you've seen that they needed a complete change or needed something to happen and what has happened has been different to what you would have expected them to develop within that industry. Yeah, um, to to some extent, I think I've seen within the same corporation 
leadership change, which can do that. Mm -hmm. Some leaders proactively or as an outcome define the culture by, the, by what they do and how they do it. Yep. And they do it a lot more collectively with groups. Others have a very thin triangular structure to how they work and think. And most ideas come down you know, as edicts. They come down at regular intervals. They don't change too much over time. And people that um, want success need to find how to operate within that thin needle. I, I'm thinking of a case of quite a senior person who had a part of the business that produced more than a billion dollars in EBIT per year, earnings per year. Mm -hmm. And we moved from a very structured, high-profile leadership that made all the decisions to a lot more collective way. That was a change where that, the first leader was moved to a new role and an incoming person from within the business uh, in another geography moved mm. in. It was stark, uh, the, the difference that occurred. Mm. And the way they chose to do it, which was different to what we'd seen before, was they had to communicate early. And the funny mm. thing was, that meant that they were standing at the front speaking. You could have, it could have been quite needle-like, triangular-like mm. itself. But instead of having town halls a few a year, say three, and instead of being just the executive and management group that attended, they started to have huge venues where they brought on skeleton populations of employees to keep the business running for a short period of a few hours, and everybody went that mm. could possibly go. And they rotated the people that stayed so that they got the chance to go next time. They were speaking from the top, from the front, but they were talking about what was important to them, they were talking about what might be. They were reflecting the findings of surveys they had done with staff and just reading out what staff mm. had said. A lot of it was saddening. A lot mm. of it was confronting. A lot of it wasn't positive. But they were prepared to just read it out. It wasn't about saying the past was bad. It was about saying this is who we are. And all of a sudden the people started to realise they'd hear these things. They weren't secrets in nature. They were confidential mm. with the company, but mm. they weren't a secret company. And they wanted to do better. Yeah. So they had, therefore, a very high readiness for the leader to put yeah. the changes in. They were hungry for that, and the yeah. adoption was very quick. Yeah. Now, to answer your question, it's the speed of adoption of that outcome, which was a surprise to me. Mm -hmm. Things used to take a long while otherwise okay. in these industries. And it was the huge leadership change that happened that was um, surprising, yeah, and how they went about it, just communicating very often to very large, very large masses. Mm -hmm. It connected again to trust, it keeps coming back to that, by the new incoming leader doing that, saying this is the results of the survey and ugly as they may have been at times, he shared them. People actually were probably thought, oh so he does know about that, he has heard it and he's acknowledging it and I think that's a, a huge step of trust. Yeah. yeah, and that openness, that transparency, mm -hmm. yeah, builds trust. You can't get it automatically. Yeah. It's it's only given by yeah. the people. You can't you walk know. out and say, trust me, I'm in a In a sense, you can't earn it. In a sense, it has to <laughs> yeah. be given. Right? You right. can do what you like. It's there the choice to give it to you, the company as a whole, the team members. True. So we've talked a lot about the culture being driven from the top. Have you had experience where you've seen culture change where it's been driven from lower down? <laughs> For good or for bad. <laughs> it doesn't matter. For good or for bad. Look, actually, I, I referenced a little earlier the technique and agora where yep. there's an openness of all the people to speak. Never can a leader give up 
the responsibilities of leadership. You have to be visible, you have to be present, you have to be there taking the, the opportunity, but taking the risk, I think, there. However, as to the execution of that, I think that's where I have seen some good examples come about. And because the discussions in the Aurora um, are those discussions that don't leave, you know, we kind of have yeah. a process to yeah. come to conclusion and move forward with, with a few of the ideas for execution, the ownership of that is great. People remember that they made the comment and they can see where that comment took them. People yes. remember yeah. how they got together. Other folks said, you should speak with, and it was that link that solved a different problem. So they all had a part of that execution. Mm. Now, when that happens, it's magic. Magic mm. happens at mm. that point because instead of having one person owning the goal, you've got so many people owning yeah. the goal. Yeah. Instead of having to ask, coerce, and ready, ready people to do something, mm. they've already moved forward with it. Yes. You know? yes. So you're moving forward to guide, counsel, give feedback, as opposed to show, tell, mm. direct. I think that that's a it's great exciting. place to work. Yeah. Mm. It's exciting. We're at 58 minutes. Is there anything that we've missed that you particularly wanted to talk about? Well, I, lo- I looked at the topics we're discussing here around culture, culture for change, mm-hmm. culture of differentiation. I guess the, the question really is, what are the cultures that would differentiate different corporations for mm-hmm. the better mm-hmm. going forward there? And I suppose we've spoken a lot about the soft skills, about the processes involved. We've come back to trust uh, many times. But I also think that... The corporations need to embrace technology quicker and further than they have in the past. And the link which isn't obvious with things that are cultural uh, is there because the emergence of new technologies will happen more quickly in cycle time, more often, greater effect going forward. We've seen that happening over in the past few years there. So the new folk coming out of the schools of learning into their roles in, in commerce, they'll be used to that pace, that technology, and they'll be looking for it to be applied. And I think that the corporations that find the way to weld together and to meld together the things which technology presents to leverage the better culture, they will be the differentiated organisations. So if you look at technology around mobility and you're sitting here with your smartphone and you're doing many things with it now and yet the question is what does it do beyond the electronics right well it can bring a transparency of information that we couldn't have believed about a few years ago Mm -hmm. it will allow an openness around what occurs that used to be quite confidential and secret things that are now available on the net you know that we never thought would be so available there and I think that openness is a key piece of technology assisting a culture to, to operate well. Behind that sits data, data from many, many sources, you know, government sources, commercial sources, academic sources, etc. The ability to farm that information, the big data world, is a huge contributor. Mm-hmm. And corporations need to find a way to get that to work. And we've spoken about how teams, in, teams interoperate and become efficient And I think that collaborative tools aid cooperation between individuals. You know, how do I share with you what I'm thinking, what I'm doing in a a regular way when you're physically in another country or physically in another building or operating in another area of a business there? And the types of tools that are available to support collaboration are many. And corporations need to 
find not just the tools, not just where to apply them, but get the link into the way people operate so that they leverage on that going forward there. And so the whole digitization process is one that brings a lot of value to a company and which does influence a culture. Do you and think that it provides us with the opportunity to make management of culture easier? Well, it can in some ways. The way an individual stays current with what's happening in the past was reading, mm -hmm. and that hasn't changed. I think every one of us should have a healthy appetite to read. Yep. It's just that we might have used books in the past only, or libraries. Mm. But now it's on a screen. It's and it's immediate. It. Yeah. It's immediate. Mm. It's the equivalent of a new software download for a computer is me to read every day and week. Mm. I can't stay current if I don't keep my reading running. Mm. What you choose to read is yours, your choice and also important there. So I think that reading is a way to make sure that you can stay current and it's a way that getting that information allows you to apply it mm -hmm. in the culture. Well, I think we might leave it there. We've talked long and involved conversation about culture and change and teams and all those sorts of things. And David and I have managed to keep Fuliana quiet for over an hour. <laughs> we're very so, successful. So we're very <laughs> successful. We will take this as a badge of honour. We do thank you, David, for your time today and for sharing your expertise and your views with us. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec.